Countdown for blast off. X minus five, four, three, two, X minus one, fire. Welcome to another episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Edwards, and with me, of course, the summer break to my lack of episodes, Mr. Robert, long-time vacation, Lundgren. How you doing? <laughs> it's not a long vacation. It just it perfectly threads the, the wrong needle. Yours is longer than mine. Yeah, I, I am aware. It's, it's just shy of two weeks, but just the dates are just terrible for oh, our recording schedule. If only. If only. It, yeah. It'd be cool if they would have lined up and we could have met in San Diego. Oh, I know. We're missing each other by days. That sucks. Well, yeah, yeah. You come back and then I leave the next week. So, or the, the, you like come back. Yeah. And I just leave that the next weekend. So, oh, well, oh, well, if I can, if I can, uh, I'll try to go to that, uh, that restaurant you like so much. Kono's Kono's cafe. If you're ever in San Diego, it's in Pacific beach. It's right at the end of the crystal pier. It is a fantastic breakfast place, and you order in the restaurant, walk across the boardwalk, sit on their patio. It's right on the uh, the right-hand side of the pier, and you just get to look at the ocean uh, while you eat your food. It's amazing. It is a little slice of heaven. You send me pictures all the freaking time. If I'm in that city, I go to Kono's, and if I go to Kono's, I send you pictures. And you always go to Kono's every time you're there. I, I have a lot of random pictures. That's our lunch <laughs> menu. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of rubbish in the morning. I don't like driving places to breakfast because I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm terrible. So how's their lunch menu? Lunch I could probably pull off. Yeah, no, the lunch menu is good too. All right, Gina, it's 51 minutes away from our, uh, from our one of our stops in Oceanside. So there you go. It is 100% worth it. Did I say hello, hello? Something feels off. Uh, I'm gonna go. Hold on. We're just gonna pretend all of that just didn't happen. Hello, hello, Jonathan, and then just insert all that other stuff right there. And will you move on? <laughs> I don't know if you said hello, hello. Yeah, I well, I just sure. did. No, I just did. I don't remember either, but I did or I did twice. And then it's a double hello, hello day, which means it's good. I like this plan. I'm excited to be a part of it. Moving on. Thank the patrons, Jonathan. <laughs> I can't keep up. Well, as always, a big old thank you to our patrons over at Patreon. You guys are helping us keep the lights on and the servers humming. And today, today's day celebration, my friend. Despite all these vacations and whatnot, I'm pretty confident I can uh, I can get the correct day when this this comes out, even if it is a little late. I'm totally going to guess the correct day. Well, that's good. Happy National Work Like a Dog Day. On August 5th, it's National Work Like a Dog Day. So either praise your working dog or just work really hard yourself. All the while, use that hashtag. Hashtag work like a dog day. Well, that's a good day. I like that. I like that a lot. Use that hashtag on social media, buddy. Heck yeah. (laughs) Well, today's a short episode because, as we were talking about earlier, we're both going on vacation, which means that I'll be gone, then Robert will be gone, and there... Well, actually, we'll be gone together because I'm going camping this weekend, and you're leaving this weekend if I don't... Yes, right? But then I'll be gone an entire week, and you'll be here, or, well, you'll be not here, because you left left me and my heart. Yeah. But uh, you will be I left your heart? I left your heart? I thought no, I was. I mean, you're place. always in my heart. It's just that you like physically left my heart because you left my state, which was probably, in retrospect, a wise decision as I watched yeah. civilization crumble around me. But um, that's neither here nor there. 
Yeah. Not that I have strong feelings on the subject at all. No, no. After that last winter, I don't know why you would. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, I was working today very hard from home, and we once again lost power in the middle of the day for no reason other than summer. So we're not good in summer. We're not good in winter. But you got that freedom power, Jonathan. You got that freedom to have rolling blackouts. Isn't that nice? That's that's the good stuff right there. That's the good stuff. That's what that's what Daddy likes. But that's neither here nor there. Um, yeah, the the end result is that we're gonna have a couple weeks where neither one of us is around, uh, and it's really difficult to record when there's only one person. That becomes a solo show, and frankly, our shtick just doesn't work without each other. That's what makes our shtick work. I, I I don't know how Brendan does it. Like, I mean, given he he does those really short episodes, but he's very prolific. So. Yes, but he's his, his format supports it because it's just. One man's thoughts. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I don't know if like our, our brain dribble. Would, or maybe he does work. have a co-host that none of us hear. And that's it's like uh, Garfield minus Garfield. Mm. I don't know. You know. I don't know what the answer is. <laughs> we'll you know, if I him. had to if I had to guess this is my this. I'm going to throw this out there. He's probably had conversations either with his wife or his children or somebody along those lines. And then he kind of like coalesces all those thoughts. And also, he's a college professor. He's used to lecturing. That's We're just true. like schlubs. I mean, like, who the heck are we? I'm just a crazed lunatic that's been given a license to speak on the internet, which is that's always true. scary and terrible and terrifying. Yeah, yeah. Wait, wait. Yeah, a bearded, a bearded guy speaking on the internet. No way. <laughs> so anyway, yes, people. This will be the last episode for a while. If I got my math right, we will be back on September 14th. Which we apologize for the long duration, but. We both work hard at our respective lives, and you know what? Vacations are good. Yeah, we haven't been to southern, down to Southern California, well, as a family, ever. I, I haven't um, seen my dad in two years because of the Rona, so, I mean, I'm ready. I am so ready. Also, I'm going to educate my children in what, what proper Mexican food is. Because what we have mm. out here in, in Texas is good. It's, it's Tex-Mex. Tex-Mex is yummy. It's its own yes. thing. Yes, but indeed. it's not real Mexican food. It's it's no. Tex-Mex. It's its own thing. Right. right. So I'm taking them to where flautas are taquitos, and that just makes everything inherently right just before we even get to the rest of the menu. Yeah, you know what? I should eat at a good Mexican place while I'm down there. I haven't had real Mexican food. In a long oh, time. dude, 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 dude. If you're going to be all the way down in PB going to Kono's, just like figure out something that you can do for a couple of hours and then you can go uh, over into Point Loma where I grew up and I'll send you to the place. You're going to Cotijas, baby. You know, there's this Mexican place. God, this is riveting radio, but there's this Mexican place I my family used to eat at and it was like, it always, I, I have this really good sense memory of it because it smelled really good because like it's across the street neighbor was a factory that made Knott's Berry Farm jam. So it always smelled really good over Dear there. God, that sounds like a little slice of heaven. Yeah, I I have no comprehension of where it is. I never drew there, drove there as an adult, but I'm like, I maybe I'll have to like, and I don't even know if that factory's still there because this is like fuzzy memories twenty years ago, you know. Well, let me tell you, if you uh, end up in Cotijas and have uh, have yourself a proper proper meal of of good fast food Mexican food from San Diego, like oh man. All the taquitos and the quesadillas and the, oh, mm-hmm, the burritos mm-hmm. there are just to die for. So, yes. Yeah. Let me tell you. Like, it, 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 just 
quick note to any listener. If you're going to find yourself in San Diego, you reach out to me. I'll hook you up. I'll tell you where you go. And you'll go to all the places that a, that a local will go so you don't look like a, a, you know, you don't look like a tourist. Anyway, this is riveting radio. Let's, let's, let's do the off the shelf. Well, it's now time for our off the shelf segment. That is, of course, our segment. Our segment. Your segment. You did it again. You did it again. <laughs> it is, of course, time for our off the shelf segment. This is our segment where we talk about all the wonderful things that we've had off of our shelves, off of our hard drives, off of our media streaming devices, and always deep, deep, deep into our hearts. Robert, we're, we're shooting the list today. We're going from top to bottom. Let's start with board games. You want to start with the segment? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. We'll start with the board games. In the segment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. All right. Well, you have much. Perhaps more... I'll do the rest of the segment this way. Sean Connery with your segment. <laughs> well, you and I uh, have actually, oddly enough, played a lot of games together with the interwebs. Speaking of which, um, have you taken your goddamn turn yet? I'm working on it right now, actually. Okay. <laughs> As we speak, I'm clicking into it. <sighs> You have to understand. You have to understand. Like I don't I, have I to understand anything. It. I tried I, doing it off the phone. It just doesn't work well. And in the heat of the moment at work, frankly, I just got other things on my mind. You know what I mean? It was the heat of the moment. I don't know the next words to this song. Oh, wow. But wow. it's the heat of the moment. Take hey. your damn turn. Oh, it's done, son. It's done. And on Seven Wonders? And on Seven Wonders? Hold on. I have to take two turns in uh, Welcome To. Oh. Oh, oh my. Man, these, these pools, man. These pools are adding up. Oh, you're going pool heavy, too? I didn't. I mean, like, I didn't mean to chase it this hard, but I'm up to 26 points from pools. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that I've ever gotten this far up the pool spectrum. Anyway, what are we talking about? So let's start with Seven Wonders. We're playing an interesting version of the game. Like, we're, we're playing with some of the advanced rules, right? Or am I just crazy? I have no idea. Oh, I think we are because uh, one of the things that's active is that you can't have two cards of the same name, kind of like, I don't know, other games, which has kind of messed me up a couple times. I'm like, oh, I want this thing. And it's like, you can't have it. You already have it. I'm like, how do I already have it? That doesn't make any sense. Yes. I concur. But yeah, we are at least playing with some. Ooh. Here we go. I get to take my turn. All yeah, right. I, I, right. I, I've had the worst luck this Seven Wonders game. Absolute garbage. Like, I can't even tell you how, how dismal my selection has been. You guys have made sure that I've had zero opportunities the entire match. Yeah, it happens. I mean, I, I don't just have the lowest score. I have the lowest score by quite a lot. And that just finished the game. Let's see the outcome of this. Let's see the outcome. Live on the air. Yeah, like I said, lowest score by quite a lot. Boom! I was, Boom! To give Boom. you an idea of how, how dismal it was, I had not a single science card offered to me the entire game. So I am using the strategy on Seven Wonders that uh, I have used ever since I started playing this game. And I used it last time and I won and I just won again. And I call it the Sex Panther because 60% of the time it works every time. Yeah, ever since I figured out the strategy that I do, uh, I win about half the games that I play, which, you know, in a multiplayer game is impressive. That's not how it should be. So, yes, I have solved it. It is the Sex Panther. <laughs> there you go. I just, I just restarted the game, so we'll see if we can get another one going. 
Although I only beat Ray by one, so there you go. Good job, Ray. Yeah. Well, speaking of games that uh, we, who won Pan Am? I can't remember. Uh, not me. Did I? Nor did I win? I thought you won on the tiebreaker. I won on the tiebreaker. We, Sorry, we, I just you and I tied, but you won on the tiebreaker. I assumed I didn't win because it was my first time playing. I'm just kind of used to thinking that way. It's like it's a learning game. I'm not going to win. Just roll with it and figure it out. Well, yeah. yeah so yeah, so yeah. We, we all played Pan Am. It was right. you, uh, Ray, and I. We played online. And what did you mm-hmm. think of Pan Am? I How about this? I have not played enough to have a firm opinion of it. However, I did not dislike it so much on my first go through that I'm like, I'm never, ever going to play this again. I'm like, I, I want I want to I want to feel out the space more. It's a it's a really nice mix of things. I feel like. Yeah. It, it, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. it, it tickles a lot of fancies that uh, usually a game will only tickle one of them. And this one aims to and then manages to hit a bunch of them. It's it's nice. Yeah, no, I'd agree. I was so I, tired that night. I am not 100% sure I played uh, error-free. I'm hoping I did, but... Well, it was me and Ray's first time, so, like, that's fair. To be honest, you probably you probably were, were not playing error-free because I don't think there's any reason you should have lost that considering you had several games over me and Ray. But, see, that's the beautiful thing. Like, Ray was only one point behind us. Like that, That's been every play of Pan Am that I've had. It's always close. That game is very well-balanced. I don't know the math that went into it, but like that game is supremely balanced. I've never seen that game be swinging. No, I'll play it again. Like, like, yeah. I mean, that, that's my thing. Like, I, I don't. I, it's got a thumbs up. Like, I'm not. I, I don't know how good it is, but I will definitely play it again because I want to. I, I want. To I know think more. it was the surprise of the year it came out. Like, it, it totally surprised me. It came out of nowhere, and it was sold at Target. Go figure. Yeah, I just saw it at Target. They're having like a board game clearance sale or something. I'm like, ooh, is Pan Am cheap? And no, Pan Am was not cheap. And I'm like, ah, stupid Pan Am. Well, uh, we also played uh, some Welcome To, getting back into the Welcome To, which we talked about a little bit. I love that game. I'm al- I always have fun with that game. I'm never mad or frustrated at it. Yeah, I was just thinking maybe I should take it on vacation, but I don't know when I would play it because I don't know if I'm going to be visiting people. Well, I mean, you and Gina can always sit down for a quick one. <laughs> <laughs> Why does it always gotta be like that with you? Wow, <laughs> yeah. Moving right along. So you played more board games than me. What what else have you been doing? Oh, more Warp's Edge. We reviewed that. Yes, yes, we did. Uh I had a little bit of alone time uh one weekend because Jessica went to go visit her uh extended family in Houston and I needed to stay and watch the dogs. So I sat down and played some Warp's Edge and uh yeah, I still am enjoying the living daylights out of that game. It's just such a great little, great little single player game. Like, it's, how nice, how nice was that to have the house to yourself? By the way, oh, fucking glorious. Mm, I could only imagine. Don't get me wrong, I love my children, I love my wife, but oh yeah, me too, me too. But you know what? Like, oh, it was so quiet. It was so quiet. And you know what else happened? There wasn't crap all over the floor. And I I just did what I wanted and the dogs didn't bark and I went paddleboarding one day and kayaking the next day and it really was just <sighs> Yeah. Yeah, that's what it was. I like it. I like it. I actually went paddleboarding twice this last weekend. It was nice. I did a seven kilometer stretch of the river. Okay, yeah, we were way off topic. Got, my legs got really tired. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, man, I could barely walk that afternoon. My legs were so tired. Focus, Jonathan. Warp's Edge, right. good time. Yes, uh, so, so Warp's Edge continues to be awesome. Um, I also have been playing a lot of Hadrian's Wall in preparation for our uh, deep dive of it, which apparently will now not be happening until September. So um, I don't know, might have to take that one with me uh, on the vacay because I'm really enjoying it. Anything else? Oh, Legendary Encounters Alien. Yes, so Ray and I got together last night, and we played a game of Legendary Encounters Alien on the Tabletop Simulator, and um, that game continues to rock. We lost terribly both times, um, but he was having a good time. I continue to think that that is one of the finest adaptations of a license to a game ever made. And um, somehow I made a mess of my cards near the end of the game. And I'm not 100% sure how I did it, but it's okay. We figured it out. Uh, it wouldn't have changed our outcome at all. Um, that game is really good at slaughtering you. <laughs> really good. I mean, not like Pandemic beat you on turn one good, but uh, it's, it's, it's not afraid of slapping you around. Nice. Yeah. Legendary Encounters Alien is just still phenomenal. It works on every level. And um, yeah, if anybody ever wants to play that, I can teach that game to you in 10 minutes. And it, it's awesome. And actually, the tabletop sim module was, despite a couple of weird little quirks uh, that like we couldn't get certain decks to sit right and weird things happening. Uh, it's actually a pretty decent little um, uh, interpretation of it. And that, I believe, is the end of our board games, which means that we're moving on to movies and TV. Oh, you watched Black Widow. I did, too. I did. I did watch Black Widow. Finally. Finally. So, what'd you think? They made the same mistake with Black Widow that they make in a lot of James Bond movies, where she was a passenger in her own film. Yep. And all of the other characters were way more interesting than her, and it was a problem. It was a big problem. Yes, Without going into spoilers, that's that's my main takeaway. Like when anybody else in the cast was there doing stuff, especially with each other, it was it was a fantastic movie. And then like Natasha was just a big giant stick in the mud, like the whole time. <laughs> She's like, no, we got to focus on the plot. It's like let us banter and say funny things and have entertainment. She's like, no entertainment. We need to move on to an action scene now. And it's like, ah, oh, Natasha, just come on, man. But yeah, like that that was her character. She was just a stick in the mud and it was stupid and I was pissed about it. Like it it was not a good way to send her off at all. It was every problematic element. It was every problematic, not every problematic, but the the big one about just being a passenger in your own film like the James Bond movies have a lot. Uh, it it yeah. also feels really strange that it came out now. Like this feels like a movie that should have come out before the la or you know, in between the last two phases. Well, the, the reason that they were having a really bad problem, like getting female led films or the guy, the head of the Marvel studios who had control over the, uh, the movies for quite a while, uh, who Kevin, Kevin Feige almost left the damn company because he didn't want, he wanted to stop arguing with them. Uh, but the guy who runs Marvel comics, he was like, uh, women characters don't sell toys. We're never making a woman with a, or never making a film with a, a woman as a lead ever because we can't sell toys. Nobody wants to see that. And he was adamant about it. Well, that guy's a jackass. Yeah, I forget his name. Uh, I don't really care to remember it, but he's the guy who's owned Marvel forever, and that's... Well, yeah. it's it's a pity, because I feel like if this movie had come out a couple years ago, it would have fit better. It, it feels like this weird orphan right now. Yeah, yeah, especially, like, when it takes place. You know, no spoilers. People haven't seen it yet, so we'll, we'll move on. Yeah. But yeah, it's 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 just... And don't get me wrong. Everybody I had fun. else in the cast... 
everybody else in the cast was delightful and a lot they they basically introduced a lot of these characters because i'm sure they're coming back and you know good like i liked all of them that's fine i i can't wait to see them all again oddly enough do you want to know what one of the biggest issues that i had with it hmm it's kind of forgettable and i realized this because i watched a uh, collection of lines from one of the characters on youtube to just to kind of get a couple laughs because it was a really you know funny character and I'm watching the lines. I'm like, I don't even remember half these scenes. And that's a problem. The movie's got real, real serious problems. And, and, and again, a lot of it is just they, they didn't know what to do with Natasha because it's like it, it's a pre it's not a prequel, but it happens in the past. And it's like, oh, we already know she's dead. So we're not going to focus on her character. And it's like, no, you should have friggin focused on her character. Yeah. Like her, her arc was how did she get the vest in Endgame? Like that was her arc. <laughs> and I'm like, that's a stupid arc. If if everything in the movie is setting up how somebody got an item of clothing in a future movie, that's dumb, and you shouldn't make a movie about that. You're not wrong. Just saying. Anyway, speaking of better, although this one was a bit of a letdown too, Loki happened as well. I watched that. Thoughts? So I cut out. We had a really long like thing last time about who I thought the big bad was, and I cut most of it out because by between the time... Uh, we recorded that, and it actually came out. I found out I was right, so I decided to cut it out because it was potentially a spoiler, which we will not spoil here. I think the biggest letdown of Loki is it doesn't resolve anything, and it just does a cliffhanger to season two, which pissed me off. Like, I I wasn't ready for that because all the, the two previous Marvel shows have had a conclusion, and this one didn't, and it kind of pissed me off. Kevin Feige, Feige, whatever that guy's name is, he has said out loud that the reveal at the end of it, which will not be named here because spoilers i guess is as big as thanos at the end of the event the first avengers movie i'll just bleep it the uh yeah the reveal of the is uh yeah that's supposed to be as big as thanos and i think it's powering the whole next phase you're right and if it is that's fine but right now in a vacuum it's just kind of there and it's like okay great i'm excited i'm stoked like i couldn't be happier yeah i just like I said, I was just a little annoyed. Not that Loki's bad. Don't get me wrong. It, it, I've, it, it's better than Black Widow. That's for damn sure. But um, <laughs> I don't know. I felt a little let down. Like it just, yeah, I felt it. It left a lot of things on the table, and I wasn't expecting that. I mean, you're not wrong. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say you're wrong because you're not. But uh, I don't know. It, it didn't sit as poorly with me. I thought it was great, and I'm really just super jazzed about the next the next uh, phase of films because Loki did what it did. And honestly, like the trip through Loki's universe was phenomenal. Like the most fun I've had with a Marvel show yet. I guess it's a spoiler that there's going to be a season two, but I don't care. There's going to be a season two. And I also really, 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 really liked uh, the music and the performances. And I thought that Owen Wilson was not his normal self in a good way. Yeah, (laughs) that's true. Speaking of the music, having listened to like, you know, a lot of classic sci-fi and watched a lot of classic sci-fi when the theremin was a thing back in the 50s, I thought we had achieved everything that the theremin could do. Uh, I thought we hit it when the band The Octopus Project put it into their uh, weird little band that I saw at uh, Austin City Limits one year. But I was wrong. The theremin in that was actually pretty pretty impressive. It just works. It works. We have not hit the limits of theremin technology and music, so I I am excited about this. I've been brand listening new to the score. Uh, it's on uh, it's on the the Amazon Music, so I've been listening to it a lot. 
All right, so what else have you been watching? Because I, I haven't watched much else. Well, okay, that's a lie. So my daughter is really, really, really in love with hate-watching this show on Netflix called The Miraculous Ladybug, which is a kid's superhero show, and it's the most vapid and stupid thing I've ever watched. And it's it's rounded the corner twice now for me. So you know you know those shows that are so bad they're good? Yeah. Well, right now The back Miraculous Ladybug. Yeah, yeah, it ran to the corner back to it's so bad it's good, but it's bad. And I, I, I just I can't hate watch it anymore. Like I really can't. Like <laughs> it's just so bad. And there's three seasons of it. And it's a French show. And it's uh would not recommend. So there you go. That's what else I've been watching. Now I'm done. What what have you been watching? I also watched Chernobyl. Oh, the HBO series? Yeah. Talk about your feel good comedy of the year. Yeah, I was gonna say. Good God, that is an a, it's an amazing show. I mean, from top to bottom, absolutely amazing. Amazingly acted, uh, amazingly executed on, just well told. And my God, the Soviet Union was a depressing place in the 1980s. Wait, so you're saying like people who are in charge not wanting to admit that things were going horribly, horribly wrong until things were way too busted to fix and it screwed up everything? You're telling me that only happens in Russia and didn't happen with your power grid a couple months ago? Oh, no, no, no. I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about okay. is uh, just how absolutely depressing the the quality of life was. Oh, well, that's uh, fair. <laughs> when, when they show you what the apartments were like, when they show you what, you know, health care was like, everything. Just it's it's your jaw hits the floor. You know, what's surprising. I was watching a thing on Chernobyl and Pripyat was supposed to be like this town that was, you know, awesome. And you wanted to be there because, you know. You, you had a good job and you were doing good work for the party. Like those apartments were, were good by those standards, apparently. <laughs> it's not saying much for the rest of Mother Russia. <laughs> All, right, All so I can is, tell you is that, that it, it is riveting. It is riveting and well, well, well worth a watch. So what's The Beast? The Beast is actually a movie about the Soviet war in Afghanistan, also that took place in the 80s. It's interesting. I have I, I'm not I've not finished it. I'm about a third of the way through. Uh, I watched this movie as a much younger person because it was on HBO for a long time. I'm seeing if it holds up to my memories as it being a very compelling, very startling uh, war movie, and so far it is. But the weird thing is, all of the characters, all of the Russian characters, are played by American actors, so they have American accents. Is it called The Beast or just Beast? No, The Beast, which is in reference to uh, the tank that they're all driving around in. So basically, without any spoilers, the war in Afghanistan is raging. The Soviets are trying to quell the Mujahideen, who we, uh, you know, the the same ones that we see referenced in the uh, James Bond movie that we love so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. After raiding a village and wiping out the population, they one of the tanks loses the column and gets lost and then uh, gets attacked by, by the, the, the rebels. So that's kind of the, the setup for the film. Nobody wins. I'll just say that. But it's 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 a very interesting movie so far. I'll let you know. I'll let you know how the second half of it goes. And Infinite. That's that crap movie on Paramount. The, the Mark Wahlberg one that I told you I watched half of and I try and get to the second half of it. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Remember yeah. how I was hoping the second half would save the first half? No. Well, 
<laughs> it got worse. That's nice. I'm so happy for you. I'm glad I don't have Paramount Plus. I can't be oh, convinced to watch that wow. right now. Although it, I'll have it when I get back, because Lower Decks will be uh, be up and running by the time I get back from my vacation. A spectacular mess that movie is in every way, shape, and form. Yes, it nice. should have gone straight to video. I can't believe that that it got the budget that it did. Who looked at the script and said this is a good idea? It's garbage. It's garbage. Also, somehow, Mark Wahlberg lowered my expectations of him. He's, he's reset the bar very, very low. And, wow. and the worst part is, and I, God, I, I'm, he's so bad at pronouncing his name, Chiwetel Ejiofor, he's so good in everything he does, and he's still good in this, and he's in the middle of this absolute mess, just desperately trying to act his way into, to, you know, get, get everybody elevated and out of this. And it's just like, Everything that he does to try and make things better somehow just makes the whole thing just fall for further. Like, oh, God, it, the whole thing's a mess. All right. I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on it. No. No, I'll be watching Lower Decks and having a good time. Oh, no, I think you should watch it. I think you should watch it. I would like to hear your thoughts on it. You know what? I'm, I'm just going to bank that you're not going to remember this in two weeks or three weeks when I have Paramount Plus again. So, sure, Jonathan, I'll watch it again. Picking up my phone. Opening right. the calendar. Three weeks is Speaking August of which, 16th. Speaking of which, okay. Reminder, tell Robert. Listeners, listeners. Okay, so something. Is infinite. Something popped up on my calendar, and I can't figure out for the life of me how it got there. It came up on July 25th, and it says on this date in 2021 i bet jonathan ten dollars there will be no original game of thrones content on tv and i was right so i won ten dollars thank you very much but i was trying to listen to episodes of the podcast because i i'm pretty sure this would happen because of the podcast because i kind of vaguely remember it but i can't find the episode and it's driving me nuts and i'm assuming it came out sometime after may of 2019 when game of thrones ended and it's spectacular flaming wreck that it was so if anybody can remember that, please, please direct me. I've been listening to a couple of episodes of the podcast trying to find it, but I haven't been able to. We'll see if you remember, Jonathan. We'll see if that comes up and then goes away because I don't talk to you that day. Oh, so. no. I'll, I'll, when, when the calendar reminder pops, I will just start texting you incessantly until I get my way. All right. Lovely. Anything else you've been watching? Old Yeller. Holy God. Yeah, so I'm sitting there working through the rules on... Um, Hadrian's wall again uh, for the, trying to the solo mode as opposed to playing with other people. <laughs> Somehow Jessica puts on old yeller like the the 1950s Disney movie. Wow, have we come a long way in filmmaking. That movie is a hot mess. I'm pretty sure PETA would would balk at some of the things on display there. And I'm also pretty sure that OSHA would balk. I, I, everybody should balk like, wow, wow, things were different. I've never, I don't think I've ever seen that version of a film. Oh, it's terrible. So they put the dog in like danger. Dude, there's a dog and a bear and a dog and a wolf and they're fighting each other. And it's not special effects. It's just a dog and a bear. And the dog is going ape at the, the bear and the bear's up on two legs and roaring and swiping. And I don't know how they got away with it, man zero way zero way that movie could be made that way today 
Also, the dialogue is terrible. I mean, my God. There's literally a character that goes, well, you know how them women folk is. Oh, the 1950s. Always nice to stop by and be reminded of just how far society has come. All right. Well, that gets us through movies and TV, which brings us to reading. You have been reading quite a lot. Yes, I have. I've been reading both gaming and non-gaming stuff. It's It's been impressive. I've I've turned a corner, I guess, in my streak of not being able to finish books. What would you like to start with? Would you like to start with RPG content or non-RPG content? Uh, let's get the RPG stuff done first. All right. So my PDF of Kingdoms and Warfare <clears throat> by the Matt Colville came in, and I got to say solid i was kind of pissed so the book was billed yeah the book was billed as a follow-up slash whatever of a book i was very very fond of so fond that we did a deep dive of it back then back in the day uh strongholds and followers it's supposed to be kind of like the companion piece to it and at some point while they were making that book and play testing and having a grand old time they completely fudge and missed the point that it is supposed to be a follow-up to this book. And so, like, integrating these two systems together, I they don't integrate. They don't do anything together at all. And it's really annoying. And no less, they changed because it has another uh, army battling system in it that's more complex, which is fine. <clears throat> you know, they have a less complex one. They have a more complex one. It's It's great. The problem was integrating those two systems doesn't work. Like... I, they don't give you any idea of like how it's supposed to happen and you, you can just fudge something together, but also they give you these domain rules where you like run like an organization or a kingdom or whatever, whatever you're doing, you know, it could be a gang on, on a couple blocks of turf. It's very loosey goosey, which is fine. The problem is having that gang and then also having a stronghold from strongholds and followers, those abilities don't jive together at all. Because having a domain generates you units, having a stronghold generates you units, and they don't tell you, should you not have the stronghold do it? Should you have them both do it? What should you do? They don't say. And for a book that's supposed to be an integration of these two concepts, it failed because it doesn't integrate anything. It's two separate things. And no less, the domain system, it would be cool if there was a reason for you to have a fudging castle, which is in that other book, but again, the rules don't jive together because, yeah, it's just, it's, uh, yeah. Like, they, they screwed up. They got That's so in love with what bad. they were doing that they screwed up. And there's a lot of people p- complaining about it on Reddit. And so far, I've avoided complaining about it on Reddit because I don't think it changes anything. But, yeah, also, like, when, when you make up your own units because they talk about that, there's no rules at all about how to do it and, like, what kind of, you know, and what bonuses or negatives because they're stats of course that different types of units get and people have like mathed it out but they said oh we just didn't put it in because it doesn't really matter and it's like well it kind of matters when people want to make stuff people like having i don't know a baseline to go from i don't know maybe i'm just you know but they just say oh just you know do the classic D thing of rubbing numbers off on it and it's like yeah but like putting in like two three more pages to just have the baseline there for you to make up your own stuff that like why isn't that not there yeah swing and a miss very disappointing i i i was looking forward to this for a while because i really wanted to fire up maravosia again and have a little bit something there for the kingdom management side of it and don't get me wrong the kingdom management side of it is quite nice but it doesn't jive with the stronghold rules that i also like and it sucks and it's pissing me off so there you go 
Sorry, Matt Coville. I love you otherwise. Also picked up a PDF of something called Cursed Classes by a menagerie of people over on the DMs Guild. I don't know if I'm on record on this podcast, but I, I have said it out loud. There is very little reason to make up additional classes in D&D 5th edition. Most people, or most of the time, you can be served by just making up a new archetype or druid circle or whatever, and then just going from there. However, I'm about to be a complete hypocrite because I really, really like this book. What it does is it introduces classes based off of, like, curses, like kind of horror curses. So they have a vampire class, they have a lycanthrope class, blah, blah, blah. I actually really like them. I think it's a very cute idea. One, just having a campaign of like monsters is kind of amusing. Um, but two, like the classes are very, very niche and very, very specific. And they really lean into like the fantasy of them. Uh, like one of the ones that really got my attention and I really want to like actually use it just because I like the idea of it is one of the classes is your, um, somebody has pulled your soul or your spirit or whatever out of your body and jammed it into a golem of some sort. And so I, I forget what the class is called, but basically it's three archetypes are you can be an animated armor, uh, you can be a flesh golem, or you could be a uh, stone golem, like a statue. And, you know, like uh, uh, that show, oh, a full metal alchemist, you know, the, the, there's a character in that that's just a walking suit of armor. Like yeah. you can do that. And or like uh, in Strixhaven, one of the colleges there, they take they pull spirits from the past and shove them into statues. And so instead of like having like a guy lecture about history, you could have the dude who lived history talk to you in a statue form. And it's like, that's cool. And, and you know, like I saw story for that. And yeah, I, I really want to do it. I like I, I for some reason I want to play the animated armor. I think that sounds amusing. And yeah, they're kind of they're extremely niche, extremely niche. But I don't know. I, I thought it was a good idea. I It was fairly cleverly done. So yeah, they uh, like I said, they have the, the statue one. They have they, they call it Flora Spawn, which is funny because none of them actually have flowers, but it's basically uh, you got cursed with... Uh, uh, there's a lot of fungus monsters in D&D that make you into like fungus zombies. Well, it's like you got, you got hit with the fungus spore, the zombie spores, but it didn't quite zombie you out, so you get like superpowers based off of mushrooms growing out of your body. And you start and kind of start looking like those folks from uh, The Last of Us, which is kind of gross but cool. And then one of the other ones is you start turning into a tree, flora spawn, whatever. But yeah, whatever. They're very druidy, but it's cute. Uh, they have a vampire one. They have a lycanthrope one. Um, I know I'm missing more, but yeah, no, it was a good book. I, I enjoyed it. And then rounding it out today, I forgot to even put this down. I got Delta Green Arc Int, which is a short-ish PDF. I think it's like 30 or 40 pages. And it's just uh, stuff for Delta Green, like items, like cursed items you can find and build adventures around. And uh, I read through it and it was appropriate. Some of them were real misses where I'm like, God, I would not make an adventure about this. This is dumb. And then a couple of them in there are like, this is cool as hell. I could totally make an adventure out of this. So yes, mission successful. Good well, stuff. There you go. And there you go. That is my RPG content. What have you been reading? And then we'll get to my, no, my, my non-RPG content. Well, uh, for me, it's been um, not much. Honestly, I have completely scrolled and lost. There it is. Turning Point. Uh, I have been reading Turning Point, which is the latest uh, book in the Galaxy's Edge series. That uh, well, it's not the latest one that's out. It's the latest one that I've managed to chew through. So I'm I'm working through that, and it's good. It's good. Uh, the The overall overarching plot is starting to take some interesting turns. All right. Well, I said I'd do it eventually, and I finally have. Uh, I. Picked up from the library, The Haunting of Hill House by Shirley Jackson, the book that the original movie and subsequent remakes, I guess, are, are all based on. 
and uh, I'm not terribly far into it, but I because I I uh, I'm getting old, Jonathan. I can't read on the elliptical because <laughs> the font's too small. I need to go get a bigger copy, or I need to get better glasses. It's very sad. I don't know. The movies are based on it. It reminds me a lot of the Robert Weiss one. Like it it that movie was fairly close to the book, which is fun. I I don't know. I'm appreciating it. It's a creepy ghost story. I like it. And then, Jonathan, and this might be kind of up your alley, uh, I got on a old-timey 90s conspiracy kick, and I heard about a book uh, on a podcast called Area 51, An Uncensored History of America's Top Secret Military Base. And I was like, does my library have it? And of course they did. So I borrowed it. And I thought it was going to be yet another book in the long list of books that I don't finish. But instead, I read that sucker in a week because it was oddly riveting. Because, because, Jonathan, this is the best part. So uh, it starts talking with the Bob Lazar, who just look him up on the Google and watch some interviews. He's the guy who saw bunkers and aliens and stuff. And I'm like, oh boy, oh boy, this is going to get good. And then it kind of casually mentions that it wasn't flying saucers at Roswell because it had Russian letters on the inside. And I'm like, huh? And then it went through like two, three hundred pages of really detailed, uh, I'm assuming firsthand accounts of working at Area 51. Uh, basically, as projects have gotten declassified, the lady who wrote this uh, tracked down people who were part of those programs and got their story um, and then kind of inferred the bits that they couldn't talk about, you know, because I don't think they can say they were at Area 51, but, you know, they were at the base and it was really boring and blah, blah, blah. And that part was oddly fascinating. You know, it talked about spy planes. It talked about, you know, the um, uh, the classic one, the one that, that got shot down a bunch. I can't remember the name of it now. What was the spy plane? This is driving me nuts now. It had big wings. Seventy. Oh, the U-2? Yeah, the U-2. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then uh, they didn't really get into the SR-71 because um, that was the Air Force version of the A-12 program, also known as the Ox Cart. Well, do you know the only reason they called it an A-12, by the way? The the A let them hide the funding because everybody thought it was for an attack plane. Oh, nice, nice. So, like, if you look at, at planes like A ten, F A eighteen, that tells you kind of what it's designed to do. So, like, the A ten is an attack plane, ground attack. The F sixteen yeah. is an F only, which means it's a fighter. The F A eighteen is a um, both designed to be both a fighter and an attack plane. So, that by by classing that as an A. Everybody just thought it was the next generation ground attack aircraft. They had no idea that it was actually a super secret Mach 3 plus, uh, you know, reconnaissance plane. Yeah, yeah. But it was it was really uh, you. You might actually like this section of the book because it was talking a lot about test pilots and crashes and programs and being extremely bored out in the desert. Uh, It was it was good stuff. And oh, I forgot to mention in the beginning, they also went a little bit over War of the Worlds and propaganda and whatnot. And, I, and I'm like, why are we going over this? But whatever. And then it just kind of moved on to this other stuff and did the the history of everything up through pretty much the A-12 because nothing else has been declassified out of there since then. Although they had the fun anecdote that uh, the SR-71 Blackbird is not act- did not start life as the SR-71. It started life as the RS-71. <laughs> yeah. And apparently the president uh, flipped the letters at some point during a speech and nobody wanted to correct the president. So they just flipped the letters officially from then on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the RS would be reconnaissance. Reconnaissance. SR means nothing. Yes. Literally nothing. Yeah. Was it Reagan? It was, was Reagan the one that messed up? No, no, no. This, oh God, no, this was like the seventies, um, or the, the, or late sixties, early seventies. So yeah. 
Um, but anyway, so then, then man, so after she builds up all this credibility with this, with this fairly decent story, that is when the insanity hits. And if you ever plan on reading this book, I'm going to tell you to skip this part because I'm about to give away her whole game. But man, did I not see this coming. It just went record scratch way off in the left field. Jonathan, are you ready for it? Sure. Are you ready for what Let's she was this. building towards? Okay. So coming back, coming back to the War of the Worlds. So what happened at Roswell, what she says happened is Stalin. Okay. So one of the things she sets up is uh, Operation Paperclip. That's where we got all the Nazi scientists. And the Russians had their own version. I forget what it's called. So during Paperclip, we managed to get a lot of the rocket people and they, the Russians, managed to get a lot of the airplane people. And as a consequence, she states, that is why the Russians beat us up because we got kind of like, oh, we've got all the rocket people. We know everything about rockets. We need to catch up on planes. So we really focused on planes and thus we got cool planes because we were actually like, you know, working on it. And the Russians had the same thing. They thought that they had all the cool planes. So they really worked on rockets and that's how they managed to get Sputnik up before us. Okay. You, You there? Yeah. You, you, okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I wish I'd wrote this down, but basically one of the people they got these brothers, I forget what their names were, um, that were doing a lot of, uh, a lot of weird stuff with the Luftwaffe, including flying, uh, flying, uh, flying wings. Right. So what she says Roswell was, was it was some sort of weird plane that, uh, had a, uh, some sort of weird drive system that allowed it to hover. Right that was remote control flown because remote controlled airplanes apparently existed. They were experimenting with that during world war two. And what was supposed to happen was the plane would fly in and it would land and it would open. And then Stalin got, and I crap you not, this is what she says happened. He also got his hands on the, the Mangala who straight up, like she says, like did surgery or put chemicals into children to to basically make them friggin' mutants and they put the mutants on the things and it was supposed to open and these like big-eyed, big-headed beings were supposed to come out and it was supposed to be a War of the World situation where he was going to try to panic an American city with a fake UFO invasion. But instead, they crashed into the desert and on the inside of the plane, written in Russian, was basically Stalin saying, ha, 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 I, I made you panic or whatever. And that is what she says Roswell was. <laughs> I was like <gasps> still a hell of a better explanation than weather balloons I'm just saying I, I I agree I agree and you know Occam's razor it's like space aliens or like psychological warfare oh I gotta kind of lean towards that but I was just not expecting to go with freaking Mangala experimented on children to make them look kind of like how we think the greys look to like fake an alien invasion was not thinking this book was going to go there, but it did. And man, like that kind of makes I, me want to read this book now. Oh God, Jonathan, it's so good. Cause like, cause like it starts with a little bit of crazy. It dips its toe into the crazy pool. And then you get this really long stretch of really, really well-researched, interesting stuff, which I hope is true. I hope she didn't pull it all out of her ass. Cause it, it, it was good stuff. It was good stuff about these programs and, and about just how boring it was out there and blah, blah, blah. And like, missile testing and stuff and she debunks conspiracy theories too that's the best part and 
<laughs> and I haven't even talked about how she she goes into the Atomic Energy Commission and how U- UFO and conspiracy theorists should really be, p- be uh, paying attention to them because I forget what oh it ter- turned into the Department of Energy and apparently like nobody knows what they do uh, and Clinton had to like rein them in during Clinton's and, and she talks about all this stuff and it's great and then all of a sudden we're like back on Roswell was mutant children <laughs> and I'm like what <laughs> it was it was great. It was so, so worth reading. I, 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 I loved it. It had twists. It had turns. It debunked conspiracy theories. It's, it, it was everything Who's I loved. Who is the author again? Because I'm adding this to my reading list. <laughs> oh, shoot. Uh, let me go look it up. Like, legitimately, this sounds like the kind of kook I need in my life. Yeah, dude. It, it, I, I was reading it. I'm like, you would love this. You would love this, and and yeah, it just never and I can tell you here. about a lot of that stuff, whether or not it's it's actually real, because I've read a lot of the the unclassified reports. I would love to know, because if she's right about some of the stuff, Is it Annie she Jacobson? might be. Anne Jacobson, yes. Okay, I'm adding this to my reading list. Okay. Okay. Up. Okay. I can't wait. I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. I spoiled the ending for you. No, uh, honestly, like I've read so so many of the official reports that I would not have read the book had it not been for that ending. <laughs> it was so good. Oh man, oh man. So yes, thank you, library. And uh, based off of something uh, from another uh, from another podcast, I checked to see if my. Uh, library has it and i will be getting it this wednesday so we will see how it goes but it promises to be another dose of crazy and it will be oddly topical to what we are doing with the stephen king stuff it is called the morning of magicians morning of the magicians secret societies conspiracies and vanished civilizations by louis Powell. that is a very wide net to cast i know so I was listening to an episode of Ken and Robin talk about stuff. And they, when this book came out, it apparently came out in the sixties or something. And you know how there's this like weird fascination with like psychic stuff, like MK ultra. And even, you know, and, and even in the pop culture at the time, like, you know, science fiction and whatnot, like psychics were a thing. And it's like, why were psychics a thing in the seventies? Uh, he, he, they were talking about that on an episode of the podcast. And apparently it's this book, like this book kind of threw open that door and then other people kind of jumped on it. But I'm like, I, I need to know now. So. Yes, I will tell you how that is, or if it's not interesting enough for me to finish reading it because I'm a terrible person. All right. Thin. Thin. So is that uh, the end of that? That is the end of that. That is the end of reading. We've not played an RPG because that is on hiatus. So Video games. Video games. I'll tell you what. I will clear myself out. Still playing Ring Fit occasionally. I'm I'm working it in with other stuff. Uh, I got kind of intimidated by Planet Coaster and I need to sit down and do it some more because I, I built a building and I screwed up on it and it really made me sad and I haven't played it for a week because of that. Aww. And uh, I've been playing Jurassic World Evolution instead because, I don't know, making dinosaurs is fun. Yeah, and I, I haven't played that many games either. All I've done is um, I've continued playing Yakuza. And How is Yakuza 1, by the way? Because I've actually never played these games. I just read a lot about them because I was playing Part 7, basically. Oh, and I, I mean, went in like, blind. you know, the cl- the thing that it reminds me the most of more than anything, Shenmue. Mm. It's like Shenmue, except you're not wandering around asking people if they know about sailors. <laughs> Which, so if you've ever played Shenmue Part One, is oh, a, I played it. A, 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 I played a, it. a humongous percentage of the queries that you make in the first half of that game. So it's it's like the actually action packed, like good version of Shenmue. Yeah, yeah, with, um, 
I mean, it's you know, I love a good Yakuza gangster movie. Like, I'm that's one of the subgenres I'm really, really into. And so it's doing that very well, and it's scratching that itch very well. So I'm really enjoying it, actually. Okay, I should I should start playing that again. Yeah, right. there, there, there's a reason that series is like nine games long right now. True that. And it has spinoffs, too. Indeed, indeed. And the other one that I've been playing a lot of is Destroy All Humans, which continues to show uh, how far we've come as a, as a society just since like 2004. But that being said, the game the game in the interior is quite a lot of fun. I'm having a good time with it. <laughs> Can't say that the jokes are always winning. A lot of those should have been left on the cutting room floor, but uh, the game itself is good. Well, OK, then. Which I think brings us to the end, right? No, no one, you, you've got your Cascatelli. I got my Cascatelli. Okay, so my wife listens to the Sporkful. We uh, we talked about this. Oh no, we I talked to Ray about this. That's why I like I talked about this with these headphones on, but it wasn't on the podcast. So there's a po- podcast called the Sporkful. The guy tried to make a new pasta shape. Uh, my wife bought it. It was really expensive for the amount of pasta that we got, but we got it, and it's kind of fudging amazing. It's 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 got this weird shape. It holds sauce really good. It's nice and chewy. Would recommend. Uh, we bought twelve more boxes of it. Wow. Yeah. Part of it's gonna be Christmas presents because I don't know. It it makes a goofy Christmas present, I guess. Yeah. I'm not expecting that until probably with all the shipping and other problems they've been having. Probably October. So there you go. But I don't know. If you want to try a weird pasta shape and you got money to burn and time to wait, you could do worse made macaroni and cheese with it and and had it with red sauce it was good both times well there you go there you go uh is that it have we finally gotten to the end we have finally gotten to the end well that brings us to the end of our segment which means it's break time and when we return it'll be time for our wisdom of crowd segment so we will see you in just a moment we love getting feedback so please let us know how we're doing by one of the following you can become our patron over at Patreon. Search for Forgot My Dice. We also have a Discord page where we organize games and chat about all sorts of stuff. Find a link on our website, ForgotMyDice.com. You can also message us or tweet at us on the Twitters. Find us at Forgot My Dice. And of course, you can email us at FMDPodcast2016 at gmail.com. Or you can head on over to our website, ForgotMyDice.com, where all of our episodes are available, plus game reviews and other content. If you like the show, the best way for more people to find out about us is to give us a review on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or Stitcher. Last of you, for those of you listening in the village, call the operator, give your number, and ask for us to be put on the rotation. Robert, this, this needs to stop. Listen, I'll, I'll make you a deal. I will not make any deals with you. I will not be pushed, filed, stamped, indexed, briefed, debriefed, or numbered. My life is my own. Oh, I'm going to cut his cord. It is now time for our Wisdom of Crowd segment. That is, of course, our segment where we talk about all the news in the tabletop news area. And there's quite a lot of news uh, this episode. The the proverbial gates have opened and the flood is upon us. Well, last time I mentioned that there were a lot of books coming out for D&D and we got more stuff about them. So they announced the new book. I was right. It's a book about dragons. Fizzbin's Treasury of Dragons uh, is coming out. It will be out between uh, The Wild Beyond the Witchlight and the Strixhaven book. There'll be new dragonborn races, new dragon-flavored ranger and monk paths, rules to give some dragon flair to other classes, 
new dragony spells and magic items, ways to make dragons more interesting and a centerpiece of your game with references to the Magic Plane of Tarkir, the old second edition Council of Worms setting, and the classic Dragonlance. And new dragon types, including the Feywild-inspired Moonstone Dragon, Gem Dragons, and so much more. Dragon layers, dragon stuff. It is a dragon book for your Dungeons & Dragons. Uh, Yeah, there you go. That'll be coming out. uh, I don't remember when. It didn't say. Soon-ish. Yes. Jonathan? Well, there you go. (laughs) Well, the Lord of the Rings Journeys in Middle-Earth game is getting another expansion. Spreading War. So this is going to be uh, a brand new campaign. It has 15 different scenarios in it. And as uh, it has our, our player characters traveling between two kingdoms and encountering a bunch of enemies in between them. Uh, there's six new heroes, so it's a whole self-contained campaign, so to speak, uh, as long as, of course, you have the base game. 20 new enemy miniatures, 18 double-sided map tiles, new roles, new terrain types, and a whole lot more. And that, no date on the press release, just it's coming very, very soon. So look for that in stores uh, within the relatively near future. Wizards over the last weekend talked a lot more about a lot of their products coming out for the remainder of the year. And of course, they talked about the adventure of the wild beyond the witchlight. And I got to say, Jonathan, I have not, I have a lot of the old D&D stories. Like I, I still want to run Ravenloft and I've got Storm King's Thunder and all that. And uh, so I haven't had much of an urge to buy these new adventures as they come out, but this one's got my attention. So the witchlight carnival is designed to be dropped anywhere. And then move the action to the Feywild, so you can use it in your homebrew world or whatever. I like this. The map of the Witchlight Carnival that's going to come with the book is laid out like an amusement park map. So, yeah, it's got kind of like flair, and it's something you can hand to your players, and I think that's cool. Also, Jonathan, apparently there is a roller coaster in the Witchlight Carnival, and it is designed to look like the roller coaster from the D&D cartoon, implying that that carnival they go to is the Witchlight Carnival in the D&D cartoon. I'm down. No, nah, because I know you like that cartoon. I know you do. I mean, I'm not going to call it great, but I am going to call it wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> the adventure is supposed to be lighthearted, and you're supposed to be able to uh, complete it without actually fighting anything if you don't want to. You can talk your way out of it or do other stuff. It has carnival-style attractions like a mermaid and a mime named Kendallfoot, uh, etc. And also, characters from the D&D animated series and old D&D action figure characters that were just kind of randomly made back in the day are also going to make an appearance in it. Along with that, you got your standard issue stuff of new backgrounds, uh, new races, including the fairy and the rabbit folk, which are called Herragons. That's a weird word. Um, (laughs) And uh, my favorite thing is they announced that part of this game will involve a new 2D&D damage type, Custard Damage. So apparently you're going to take some damage by custard in this adventure. So I got to say, I am intrigued. And that's about it. Jonathan. Publisher Sorry We Are French has announced a new game. Uh, <laughs> and this, <laughs> I had a feeling you were going to get a giggle out of this. If, if, if they changed their name to Sorry We're From Quebec, they would have my undying love. Well, sorry. They're just French. <laughs> I don't think they're Canadian. Yeah. Uh. They um they they are releasing... if you've worked in customer service you know about Quebec. Um, they are releasing a sequel uh, to their game Demeter and Ganymede, uh, and this is entitled Varuna. And in Varuna, 
Uh, it's a flip-and-write game uh, where you are discovering the aquatic dinosaurs that live on Varuna, which is another of the moons of Demeter. Basically, three phases of the turn will be you flip a card, you choose a card, you take damage, uh, and then you trigger the action and get the bonus from that card. So it's a very straightforward flip-and-write game. Um, if you are into that sort of thing, you can look for it uh, in the relatively near future. It should be in stores uh, sometime within the next month or two, it says. So this is the D&D book that this year has my attention. I think I've already talked about this in the podcast, but I don't care. Strixhaven, Curriculum of Chaos. Yeah, I, I this book has my I love I love wacky settings and this seems like a wacky setting. So they talked a bit about what the book will have over the D&D weekend. It will have new feats, a background, which they did not specify. So fun uh, spells, magic items, 40 new monsters slash NPCs and a new race. So you remember in Dominaria, there was the Avens who were, you know, bird people that, yeah. you know, had six limbs because they had wings and hands and they were not the same thing. Well, in Strixhaven, they have an Avon species, but they're owls, and they're called the Owlin, and they are adorable. I mentioned that they were going to have uh, class paths that were for multiple classes. They said nobody liked it, and they're going to be cut because everybody had kittens about it, which I could see. It's kind of weird. Furthermore, the book will have four adventures in it that can be played as standalones or woven together. But if you play them all as one thing, it is supposed to be one adventure is one year in Strixhaven. So when you get done with the adventures, you graduate. Huzzah. They have systems for academic challenges, extracurricular activities and jobs and relationships on campus, uh, which is funny as heck. Uh, there are personality profiles for 18 NPCs spread across the five colleges and players interact with them during relationship encounters such as an improv festival, a house party, and a pitch-perfect style singing competition. I'm like, oh, that's college right there, buddy. I love it. Huh. They say it can be dropped easily into any D&D world because it's just this magical college. And I love, love this quote, Jonathan. This is from Jeremy Crawford, uh, one of the lead designers of Dungeons & Dragons. Quote, as we reflected on our own experience as university students, we looked at not only how much excitement there could be, but what a hot mess college life can be, dot, dot, dot. The relationships you can build become really dear and affectionate, but they can also go the other direction, and you could end up with a frenemy who might end up causing you trouble, end quote. I am I'm sold on Strixhaven. I cannot wait. College is a hot friggin' mess, and I love it. I love it. I'm down. That sounds fun. <laughs> yeah, they had me at Pitch Perfect in the Improv Festival because nothing says college like an improv show. <laughs> <laughs> that is a legitimate statement. <laughs> All right, well, Arcane Wonders has announced uh, their upcoming releases for the holiday season this year. Uh, Viral, The Hive, is an expansion for the game Viral, and that is all about, and perhaps this is a bit too topical for 2021, viruses attacking the body. So, um, the expansion, uh, which is from one of the original designers, uh, Antonio Sausalara, introduces five new asymmetric viral factions. Uh, releasing at Gen Con and Origins uh, this year is a game by Anthony Noval called Picture Perfect. And in this game, you are trying to fulfill the wishes of the photographed, including everything that they want in their pictures, and none of the things that they don't want. Onitama Light and Shadow is a new expansion coming for the Onitama base game from Shempai Sato. And that is introducing the ninja, which moves secretly into the game. 
Then there's another game coming called Furnace, uh, and this was one that Arcane Wonders is actually publishing in conjunction with Hobby World, and that is designed by Ivan Lashin, uh, and that is a card-driven engine-building Euro game. That sounds neat. I like that. And all of these and more will be coming in the later half of this year, and it looks like some will actually be, some if not all of them, will be available in the Gen Con Origins timeframe. So if you're going to either of those conventions, yeah, don't get the Rona. Go yeah, don't get, get the, the Rona, Delta. And, but do pick up Viral. <laughs> Remember, Viral, not Virus. If you get Virus, bad. Viral, good. Viral, good. Delta, bad. Got yeah. it. Yeah. Delta. Unless you're flying Luna. on Delta, then then Delta, good. Viral bad. Delta variant. Wait, I'm confused. Yeah. Wait. It's okay. okay. It's okay. All deep right. breath. Deep breath. Okay. Yeah, I'm here. You know what I mean. Darrington Press, the press imprint for the Critical Roles, they have announced that the Taldore campaign setting Reborn is coming out. This will be kind of a reprint of the book that they published with a similar name by Green Ronin a few years ago, but that book is long out of print and going for astronomical sums on the interwebs. So yeah, save your money and buy this when it comes out. It is going to have like a hundred extra pages of stuff. It will put the timeline forward 20 years to line up where things are, I guess, with the Critical Role show. And I don't know, I love new campaign settings because I love world building. So I'm excited about this. And I didn't want to buy that book because it was horrifically expensive and it pissed me off. But yeah, there you go. That'll be coming soon, TM? <laughs> they didn't say, but soon. Uh, from Darrington Press. Jonathan. Well, there you go. Well, you know, I like to talk about games that little kids can play too because they're a big part of our families and it's never too early to introduce them to board games. And that means that uh, instantly your mind turns to Haba. And Haba has announced their big releases uh, for the holiday season this year. We have, and I didn't think this was possible, but they have a junior version of the very junior game, Animal Upon Animal. <laughs> okay. This is, well, okay uh, then. this is a version of the game for players two and up. Uh, mm. And it only has a playtime of about 10 minutes, which is, that tracks. <laughs> <laughs> There's even a cooperative variant in the game. Uh, where players are racing against a crab. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. Uh, there's also a new game coming out, uh, one to four players by Thomas Singh, uh, and that is The Key, Theft at Cliff Rock Villa. Uh, this is for players eight and up, so a little bit older, uh, and it's 15 to 20 minutes of deduction-style investigating on the theft of valuables from Cliff Rock Villa. Next up, uh, for your five and up, about a 15-minute long game designed by Marcus Nikish, and that is Inspector Mouse, The Great Escape. In it, all one to four of your players are going to be um, playing as Inspector Mouse, trying to deduce who the last criminal in a cell was and how they got out by using an escape tunnel. Next, uh, there is a game called My Very First Games, off to bed a game i like to play with amelia almost every night these days as two is when they start to they start their open rebellion against bedtime oh my god your daughter did the most like creepy thing what now <laughs> so okay so your your wife posted this on facebook and i i know she doesn't think it's creepy but from like my point of view it was extremely extremely creepy and i'm gonna just read it what, the, the mask thing 
Yes. She tried it again tonight. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. So, so th- this is apparently your wife. Why are you wearing your face mask? You need to take it off for bed. Amelia screams, I want my mask on. Me, you can't sleep in a mask, baby. Amelia, I want to sleep in my mask. No, you, and you, all you, I can think of the inflection right. I want to sleep in my mask. Yeah, but all I could think is your 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 daughter's the, the king in yellow has touched your daughter, sir, and she doesn't want to. She, she doesn't want to unmask. Maybe she wears no mask. Normally, I would agree with you, but you have to remember she is a COVID baby through and through. My God, the rules have changed. <laughs> Raising these COVID babies is a little bit different. I don't know, Jonathan, just, just all this mass talk and all the King and Yellow stuff in my head, it was very amusing. I, I was trying not to make a joke because I know Jessica wouldn't get it if I said maybe she doesn't or maybe she doesn't want to unmask. Maybe she wears no mask. I, I don't know. Well, in I off to bed, one. players will get to play for about 10 minutes because that's all it lasts. Unfortunately, a bunch of animals that really, really want to go to sleep can't because their their beds, their pillows, and their blankets are all mixed up. So think memory, except you're trying to... Uh, brush your teeth and read your bedtime story and get your blanket and all that stuff and finally get to bed. You know what's really nice about having twins? Actually, my boys like going to bed because they stay up and they talk to each other, but they don't mind being in there together. Oh, yeah. No, that's not the case in my house. In my house, uh, bedtime has become a time of open rebellion that shall be squashed with uh, uh, extreme prejudice. Yeah, no, one of those things where, where having twins is actually less work in a weird way. Yeah, I'm no, it's realizing. basically the American Revolution in here now uh, when it comes to bed. Oh, yeah, no, I still get that with my daughter. But yeah, no, the twins, they like going to bed together. They just chit-chat. That's why we had to stop giving them naps because they would be up till 10 or 11 in the fudging evening if we let them nap during the day. Holy God. We'd be going to bed and we'd be hearing them chit-chat. It was yeah, stupid. Yeah, anyway, sorry, sorry. Go on. And then finally, Robert, as a child of the, of the uh, 80s and 90s, stop! Or my mom will shoot? No, no, no. Hmm. A little, little bit later, a lot more parachute pant. Hammer time? Yeah! <laughs> Designed by Sean Graham and Scott Huntington. This is a two, two to four player game for ages five and up, where uh, players will be um, trying not to wake up a dragon named Dragomir uh, while they fill up their wagons with gems. Hammer time. So it's cool. There's dwarves. I like dwarves. I have a role playing game called the dwarves that I got on, on a bundle when I got battle chasers, actually, and I still oh, haven't played go. it. I should. So I that is the upcoming releases things. for 2021 for Haba games. So, Jonathan, I don't know if you know this or not. I, I, if you can infer it based off of things we've talked about. I, I'm kind of a fan of the Delta Green a little bit. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. I've heard. This year, Jonathan, marks the 25th anniversary of the original release of Delta Green way, way back in 1996. (laughs) And it makes me feel super old because I remember reading a a review of it in Dragon Magazine and then going to my game shop and it being there on the shelf and randomly buying it and randomly having my mind blown. Yeah, it's been 25 years, Jonathan. That's, uh, That's upsetting. Or was it 90? Whatever. I don't remember the year. 97, 90, 96, whatever. Regardless, to commemorate this 25th anniversary, they are doing a Kickstarter, and it has not started yet, so I can't tell you much about it uh, besides what they have let on, but they are going to be reprinting the original Delta Green book with new art and updated to the Delta Green RPG rules, which you and I have played, and we both enjoy. Yes, indeed. And that will be going on soon. So if 
anything I've been talking about Delta Green interests you at all and you want that good, good, clear hit of just 90s UFO conspiracy, you, oh, it's so good, Jonathan. Apparently, stretch goals are going to be reprints of the other classic books from the Delta Green days way, way back. Uh, Countdown, which is where the Night Floors originally came from, the first part of Impossible Landscapes. Uh, Eyes Only, which is a collection of stuff about its lore, basically, but it's a it's a very deep dive into three, three, three bits of lore and fun adventures. And Targets of Opportunity, which is an excellent book because it talks about the Delta Green version of the Manhattan Project. And, or no, sorry. It talks about the Delta Green version of the Philadelphia Experiment and what went on there, and it is amazing. But we know what happened with the Philadelphia Experiment. Well, nothing, because it's a conspiracy theory. No, but this it's is a Loki. Oh, uh, that's right. Well, this is, the, <laughs> this is the Delta Green version, which is very clever. I, I'll spoil it for you, because if you're going to buy this, you're probably going to want to run it. Okay, so Jonathan, have you ever read or seen the movie From Beyond? From Beyond? Why? That does sound familiar. It's about the uh, Jeffrey Combs is in it, and he, his pituitary gland shoots out of his head, and he eats brains. Six, directed by Stuart Gordon. Oh, oh, I remember being terrified of this movie when I was a kid. I remember when it came out, and I shouldn't have been watching it, and I was. Th- th- this is one of those wonderful days from Reanimator. Like, you know. <laughs> yes, but same crew. Another, same crew, another wonderful Jeffrey Combs movie. Fun fact. Yes. Okay, so that is based off of a story by Lovecraft called From Beyond. And actually, the story From Beyond is basically what happens in the first five minutes of the movie. And so the movie's kind of a weird sequel to it, although it takes place in, you know, the future of 1986 instead of the past when the book was written. But whatever. So you take that machine where you turn it on and you see things from beyond that can eat you and whatnot. And then that was the machine that the Philadelphia Experiment was based off of in Delta Green. Uh, they use that to make it invisible to radar, a tilling gas resonator, as they call it. And it is an excellent, excellent messed up adventure. And i that's the only one of the bunch I have not run yet. Um, so, yeah, there's that. But very good books through and through. If you are remotely interested in D&D or D&D, if you're remotely interested in Delta Green and you want to play some classic 90s conspiracy uh, this is a good time to go pick those up. It's those are excellent, excellent, excellent books. Highly suggest getting in the Kickstarter and do it for me. Somebody do it for me because I have absolutely no reason to buy all of those books. I have run everything in them except for the the fourth one that I just mentioned. So there's no reason for me to get them because I'm not going to run them again, which is sad. But somebody buy it for me. Somebody, somebody be me. L- let me live through you, please, please. Give them money. They deserve it. Jonathan. Well, uh, it's award season. Dice Tower has announced their 14th Annual Gaming Awards. And uh, let's see here. There's three big winners. Let's start with the uh, best artwork. So looking at those boxes, and any, any ideas of who might have won? Uh, no. Well, uh, the big winner was the Lost Ruins of Arnak from Czech Games. That got best artwork. Hmm. So the, the list of winners is quite long, but let's uh, let's pick a couple of good categories here. Uh, here's one uh, that uh, is going to be really familiar to, uh, to you. Best two-player game. Now, thinking back to some of the games that we've talked about uh, a little more recently on the show. Two-player game uh, that I really liked, and you and I have played it together. I'm blanking right now. Sorry, I'm really hungry, and I know there's spaghetti and meatballs downstairs, and I'm getting World really War II theme? Normandy? Ah, yes. Undaunted. 
Uh, ah. Not the Normandy version, the North Africa version. Uh, got best two-player game. Oh, I'm looking at this list right now. Best game from uh, a small publisher. Uh, yeah. How can you not? I was saving that for last. But yeah, Dune Imperium. <laughs> of course you were. Because Dune Watch 2021. Do you know my FLGS got their deluxe and their normal copies of the Dune RPG in? Which I guess uh, you could say is you'll, your name's in that book because you playtested it. Oh, I didn't realize my name was in there. I have to go buy it. Yeah, your name should be in it. If I if it's not, I whatever. But yes, you play tested. That was the secret game we couldn't talk about a long time ago. You play tested that, so your name yes. should be in print. It should be in print. And it's a. I really. I one of the things that that RPG does so so well is it captures the the politics of Dune. The the under underlying current of everything. I've thought about driving down there. And it's based off the Star Trek system. Anyway, you probably shouldn't talk about it because most of the NDAs say you can't talk about the playtest. You can only talk about the actual game. Yes, that's what I'm just talking about the actual game. Like the system. The system nails the the political undercurrent. Oh, hey, hey, I played this with uh, most innovative game, the the crew, uh, the quest for Planet Nine. We played that with Ray. It got most innovative and it got uh, game of the year. Nice. And best co-op. So it kind of cleaned up. Yeah, I could buy that. It's a good game. I liked it. So if you want to see the full list, it's available on the Dice Tower website, um, dicetower.com slash dice-tower-awards slash 2020. But uh, there you go. A lot of, lot of good winners. Congratulations to all the winners. Um, there's a lot of really good games on this list. Like, you can go, you cannot go wrong with anything on this list. Well, speaking of this, Jonathan, ICV2 released their, uh, their top-selling stuff uh, which is made through an arcane system. They, I think they just talked to distributors, so this isn't entirely representative, but whatever, it's still interesting. Okay, so uh, RPGs, because that's what I love. Uh, number one was D&D 5e, go figure. But this, the follow-up stuff is the interesting stuff. Number two, Cyberpunk Red is the number two selling game. At least the distributors going to FLGSs, so that's kind of cool. Three is Pathfinder. Four is the Alien RPG, and then five is 5e compatible games. Oh, I love that Alien RPG too. Yeah. And then the top selling board games, Jonathan, according to uh, according to this is uh, Gloomhaven. I don't know if it's every version of Gloomhaven or something specific. Uh, I forgot to write that down. Uh, Number two, Betrayal at the House on the Hill. A classic. But wow, I can't believe that's still selling that good. Uh, Wingspan, Dune Imperium, uh, Cubitos, Cubita, C-U-B-I-T-O-S. C-U-B-I-T-O-S. Cubitus? Yeah. Cubitus? Cubitus. Uh, Root, Azul, Unmatched, Scythe, and then the number 10, which I, 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 I don't even know anything about it, and I like it by the name alone, Quacks of Qualdenberg. I have yet to play that. I've heard good things, though. That is the best-selling stuff, at least going to probably your FLGS, according to the ICV2s. And now I need to know about the Quacks of Qualden, Qualden blah, 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 blah. that word with a Q. This is kind of news, Jonathan, but I just stumbled onto this. Uh, I put a link into the Discord. Apparently there's dragons in Age of Sigmar, and those models are beautiful, and I want you to look at them. Holy crap! Yeah, right? Wow. Yeah. And I'm not just talking about the exquisite paint job. I'm talking about the detail. Yeah, this looks like a kit where you can make two dragons. Uh, Wow. Wow. one of them has like some jewelry on and the other one's a little bit more of a traditional dragon, but this would be sexy for a D&D game if you're playing in person. No joke. 
Yeah, right? I'm going to have to look into that. Good Lord, the paint jobs, too. Like, whoever painted those is really, truly, truly gifted. God, those sculpts are gorgeous. Yeah, this is apparently Cronondus, uh, the son of Dracothon, and Krasdul the Scarred. I mean, of course. Isn't it always? Yeah, but yes, these are coming to Age of Sigmar soon, TM, to pre-order or whatnot. But yeah, those dragons are, are pimp. <laughs> yeah, <those laughs> I may are have to get amazing. one. So, yeah. All right, there you go. Sorry, I just saw that and I had to, sh- I had to share. So, Jonathan, uh, unfortunately, because we took our summer vacations last year, we do not have a year in the life right now. Well, at least we are uh, nothing if not... Um... Which means when we come back, we'll have like six, but, <laughs> but whatever. Uh, but we can still, still do our king of all, or pardon me, a king in all things segment, which means it is time to talk about part two of our 38 part series, a king in all things, where we are watching all those Stephen King movies based on novels or novellas and a couple little extras in order of release date. And we are still in the 70s, my friend with the Salem's Lot TV miniseries. 1979, good year. Directed by that Tobe Hooper, made for a budget of $4 million. That's 70s money, too. That's a a pretty decent budget. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So, yeah, fun facts. There's uh, four different cuts of this film, apparently. Four. Uh, We watched the three-hour and three-minute cut, which is just... The original one is the one that aired on TV and it had like last time on Salem's lots and like opening sequences and credits. And for our version, they just, you know, smushed it all together. So that's apparently where all that time went. So like halfway through, we didn't watch last time on Salem's lot because that'd be stupid. We just watched it, right? Yep. (laughs) They also apparently released it in the theaters out in Europe. And that version only was ever released on VHS. And I would love to see it because my, well, we'll get into that, but that one cut the film back by like 88 minutes. So it went down to like an hour and a half hour and 45 minutes. Um, it included some alternate and more violent takes, uh, which also would be fun to watch. Cause I, I, I will say this. I actually like this a lot enough. I would watch an alternate cut of it just out of pure interest. Cause it was, it was a good ride the first time through. Lastly, there is a two hour and like 20 minute cut, which is from the subsequent showings of it on TV where they cut it back a, a bit to uh, be, you know, a little bit more TV friendly for more ads and whatnot. But yes, we saw the the extended, you know, all of the original stuff edition of this. Should we, should we explain the plot real quick first? Yeah. Uh, it's, not a- it's Dracula, in, but in Maine. Yeah. Is that good enough? That, that, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's pretty good. I mean, yeah, there's not much more that needs to go into it. Yeah, yeah. It's basically the vampire apocalypse. A vampire comes to a small town in Maine. And then, you know, the classic vampire happen, vampire problem happens where a vampire bites somebody and now there's two vampires and then they bite people. And then next night there's four and then eight and then 16 and so on <laughs> until the, you know, most of the town of 2000 people is either dead or vampires. Good times. I don't know. Where should we start with this? Where should How we about start? we start with what a lovely surprise this was, especially based on the absolute hot mess that was Carrie. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. I I, I was I, expecting I more Carrie. I really was. I was walking into this thinking, A, it was made for TV. B, Carrie showed me that the 70s maybe were, were a time that we should never have gone back to in the, in the movies. And this proved me completely wrong for the most part. Yeah, yeah, it had, it had some problems. Like, like I said, it's, it, it drags. 
Because, yeah, there's some well, shots that... Just I think they were trying to, to stretch it for the, the, the whole miniseries thing. Like, there, right, there's, right, There's a two-hour movie in here that, that that's tense and taut and wonderful. Yeah, I was telling you, I'd love, I'd love for someone to get all of the footage for this, including the alternate takes that were in Europe and stuff, and just, you know, go hog wild on an edit where they can just make the best edit possible and just splice all the, the good stuff together. Let, let's get a couple of the, 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 the nasty bits out of the way. This being a product of the 70s does have some cultural issues that need to be addressed. Number one, the character of Dr. Norton is a, um, well, how shall we put this gently? Uh, a sexist asshole, I think, is <laughs> the word we're looking for. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean. Did you see John McClane's wife is in it? I I, I was Oh, Bonnie Bedelia? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I, 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 I was... I was sitting there watching it, and for like a full hour, I'm like, why do I recognize? It was bugging me well, so bad. Well, her hair is so different, because remember, in, in Die Hard, she kind of had like a perm thing going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it really changes like the the, the nature of, I don't know, her face, but like... Well, also, know. she's portraying like a younger character in this. Like, I, I got the vibe that she's supposed to be like in her 20s, and so they had her like dressing younger, and then the way she was played she was a lot more reserved yeah and so she wasn't you know the, the firebrand that you saw in Die Hard, and yeah it was just it was just sitting there for like an hour i'm like why do i recognize her and i finally had to look it up on my phone and, and yeah and then w- of course the constable was par- uh, played by Bla- uh, baron Vla- vladimir harkonnen yeah yeah <laughs> i mean there's a lot of very very familiar faces in this movie fred willard's in it um yeah. Elijah Cook Jr., who is a character actor in every 80s thing that you've ever watched, is in it. Um, George Dzunda, Dzunza, Dzunza. Um, he uh, plays the uh, one of the more problematic characters, not in a cultural way, but in a um, he's a wife beater way. And he actually is, oddly enough, he he's in that movie The Beast that I'm watching right now. And and he's a he's a face that you'll recognize from everywhere. Uh, the real surprise was David Soul. Um, he is charming as all get out in this movie. I I don't know what else to say. It was fun. It, it dragged a little bit. It had some seventies issues. Like you know, it's like like the way they treated uh, Mrs. McLean uh, was a little like, oh, really? Well, okay. Yeah, Whatever. yeah. Like I said, there's 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 a couple of of time oriented issues, but far less than most stuff coming out of this age to be to be frank and yeah it was just it was a good little spooky tale about a town getting slowly taken over by vampires and the vampires I, and I like were nice the monster and creepy. design i like them going with the Nosfer, uh, nosferatu design yeah yeah and the eyes People yeah the eyes were eyes. great the eyes were great and there's there's a couple scenes especially uh with uh, the the vampires hanging out outside people's windows where there are some very clever physical effects that give it a very unique look and that they're genuinely creepy. Yeah. One of the things I noticed they did. So apparently uh, to make the vampires float, they didn't put them on wires. They hooked them up to a boom crane. So basically they had like a pole, like they were in a harness and then the the pole was coming out of their back and they, they, you know, like there was a counterweight way back there. So they were just hanging off of a pole out in front. So that's how they could move in and out of like windows and stuff. Cause they were just on a long pole. (laughs) Um, but one of the things they did, I noticed, was they put like a fog machine on their back, too. And then they would play that footage in reverse. So it looked like they were like coalescing out of smoke because like all the fog that was, you know, in the room would like flow back into them. And then by the end of the take, you know, when they had just turned the fog machine on, it would be like a person. It was really clever. 
and it looked really cool. And I mean, you could tell it was in reverse. <laughs> you know, I was under no illusion, but I'm like that. That's very clever because it's but, it's a but cheap trick. Is, that's but it the worked. thing. This is this is the age where they didn't have computers to rely on. So clever was the name of the game. Clever is what separated you from from everybody else. And those effects were dope. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Like somebody totally needs to steal that now and just, you know, put the spin on it where it's obvious people aren't acting in reverse because that's kind of challenging. And even then, they did a really good job acting in reverse. I was really surprised. No, they nailed it. That That's not the, what gives it away. It's the smoke that gives it away. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But yeah, if you had that in a modern movie where the smoke was coming into them like that, but they were talking normal, so it was obvious they weren't in reverse, it would it would be really, really good. Um, yeah, no, like everything, everything was really, really good. I, I've heard a lot of good things about this movie and it did not disappoint. It was, it was a good ride. I mean, no, again, a, it was a little a longer remarkable a achievement for a TV movie too, I think, especially from the seventies. Yeah. There were a couple points where I'm like, eh, this is just lingering a little too long, but I was never bored. I, you know, there were a few moments that just kind of took me out of it, but I was not, not so long that I was not continuing to be entertained. Yeah. The, the interesting thing is that, like I said, uh, with with a modern edit, with somebody to go back on 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 and get a hold of the original footage and do a modern edit of it, I think there's a really top movie in here. Yeah, I'd agree. I completely agree. And it makes me kind of sad that we're not going to watch the 2004 version of the miniseries starring the Rob Lowe uh, that they did for like I, TNT You know, or honestly, something. after watching this, I would not be opposed to adding it just to just to do a compare and contrast because this ended up being such a a gem. I think I texted you. I'm like, what a surprise. What a palate cleanser. Because Carrie was a hot mess. <laughs> yeah, I'm still angry about Carrie. Yeah, I, I am too. So yeah, I, I don't know. I guess we're not saying anything bad about it. It was, it was pretty good. No, decent. it was lovely. It was, it was a, a hell of a I, I surprise. Had, I had such a good time. I'm thinking about getting the book from the library at some point just to read it again. Because I read it like oh, I was God. in high school I, when I read it. Yeah, I read it in, I think, junior high. Yeah. Yeah, because I was at Korea. So uh, yeah, I, was, I, I, was, I read it in junior high. And it was... Um, I remember being creeped out as holy hell. Like I read a lot of Stephen King in junior high. In retrospect, as a parent now, probably not a good idea. <laughs> probably my parents dropped the ball on that one. Yeah. Hey. Pop, if you're listening, eh, let's just uh, call that a draw. No, we're we're both fine. We're fine. I would think harder about letting a kid that age read uh, Dean Koontz more than Stephen King because Dean Koontz has a formula. Ooh, Dean Koontz had a he had a raunchy side on. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Where Stephen King, I, I, sex scenes happen and raunchy stuff happens in the book, but it happens at like natural points, not as part of their formula yeah, it, that happens it, in every book. It wasn't forced, and more importantly, it made sense from a character perspective. Whereas with Stephen King, it was almost like you mean Dean Koontz, or um, with Dean Koontz, it's it's almost like you know. Skin and Max after dark, like, oh, it's now time for the obligatory sex scene. Yeah, about halfway through the book. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, anyway. Yeah, no, uh, seriously, go watch it. It's it, it is a little long. I'll take a couple of sit throughs, but it's it's well worth it. And it's cheap as hell because it's an old ass movie. Yeah, it was like three dollars and fifty cents or something to rent it. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know what? One thing that I really enjoyed about it. It's an effective horror movie that doesn't rely on gore to get uh to to be effective and creepy and unsettling it, it's it's about tension and it's about um setting up a scene and those 70s freeze frame close-up god bless him god bless him with the extreme <laughs> zoom yeah 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 oh so good it was so good 
So anyway, yeah, thumbs up. Thumbs up all around. Salem's Lot. Surprisingly good. I didn't know Tobe Hooper had it in him. I've seen his other movies. This this was actually really good. Yeah. What he, happened? He ended up really nailing the living daylights out of this one. I shouldn't. Uh, he's still alive. I shouldn't. I shouldn't mock him. Invaders from Mars was cute. I, I liked his remake of that. I, you I know what? Texas Chainsaw Massacre holds up, too. There, but, there's a know. reason that 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 became a, a, a masterpiece of sorts. Yeah. We'll just sort of ignore Life Force and some of his other films. God, now, now that you've said it, part of me wants to do like Dean Koontz movie adaptations next. After we God, Stephen King. Thing. No. Yeah, because then no, because then we're going into Phantom's territory. <laughs> F. Yes. There is, yes. No, fa- F- Affleck was the bomb in Phantoms, yo. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not. <laughs> I knew it. I'm not, I'm not. I'm not disparaging that. No, but then we have to like watch the Watchers quadrilogy, and those are just dumpster fires. Those are terrible, 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 terrible movies. I know that's what makes it fun. And Hideaway with Jeff Goldblum was that the one he did? I think so. Yeah, yeah. That's and 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 uh, the the Alicia Silverstone. Oh, put, put, put a pin in it because I I feel like this is no. Granted, we're years away from this at this point, but. <laughs> <laughs> Although Odd Thomas was pretty good from what I hear, so whatever. But yeah, vetoed. I'm not I'm not going through I watched all four of the Watchers films back in the day. No. Never again. There's no reason to. They're not even so bad they're good. They're just boring and terrible. Oh. And I you know what? Let the let the listeners decide. Let them weigh in on this. Let them weigh in on this. <laughs> uh, well, we're talking about anything else than what? we're talking about so i'll say this uh join us here next time we're gonna watch the shining the classic that's next buddy i'm excited it's been a year and you know what i'm okay with it yeah it's that good yeah i i am excited about this because it's i i've never watched it not had a great time with it yeah yeah and i've watched a lot and then we get to watch one of the movies i never ever ever watched because the book wasn't even that fun uh, Cujo, but we'll, uh, that'll happen when it happens. <laughs> oh man, Firestarter's further down this list than I thought. No, well. Yeah, they, there, there was a time there where the, he was spitting them out like the movie ad- adaptations pretty darn regularly. Oh man. Oh man. Dude, we're about to hit a zone that's going to be fun. Uh, okay, so after, after Cujo, because Cujo, Cujo sucks. But. Following Cujo, we have The Dead Zone, Christine, Firestarter, Silver Bullet, Stand By Me, The Running Man, and Pet Cemetery, and Misery, and The Lawnmower Man. And then Oh, God, I'm so excited about The Lawnmower Man. Oh, I can't wait to hate watch the living daylights out of that. And then we have The Dark Half, which isn't that good. But that's that's a good run where there's some good... Good Lord, some, yeah. Yeah, there's, that's a good run. And not that The Dark Half is terrible. It's just it's, it's going to be a low point. And then, and, then, and then we get into the weird territory. But yeah. So Cujo was 83. I didn't realize it was that late. For some reason, I had it in my head that it was in the 70s. I'm excited. And, I mean, even The Shining was in the 80s because that was 80. So, yeah, we're, we're leaving the 70s behind. Yeah. Indeed. And now we're, we're getting into the 80s in a good way. I'm really excited <laughs> about Running Man. You know, I've actually never seen that movie. Like, I've seen it. What? Never, it, really? It's, it's one of those. It was on TV all the damn time. I probably have seen all of it, but I have not seen it. Like, I've never sat down and watched it. Have you ever watched Apt Pupil? No. Holy Same thing. crap, that movie is wow. Like, you're in for a ride there. Yeah, no, I, that's why I was not opposed to doing this. I've that, seen about that, half that's, of all this That's stuff. Ian McKellen at his greatest. 
without a doubt. Yeah, no, no. There's a reason I wanted to do this. It's because I haven't seen like half of these. So, like dark half. Have I even seen that? That's about the writer who has a brain tumor and Jekyll and Heidi. I don't know. I started reading the book and I couldn't get through it. It was kind of bad. Uh, George A. Romero directed it. How mm. did I miss this? I don't think I ever saw it. Well, there you go. It wasn't that good. I saw it on HBO one night. It was. I think I fell asleep because I know I didn't finish it. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of our segment, which means that it, uh, you should really, really join us in the next episode when we get to The Shining, which is uh, widely considered to be a, a, a horror masterpiece. So I'm, I'm excited to revisit it with these these new lenses. Indeed. Well, sadly, to an extent, uh, because it's going to be a while till we get to sit down and do this again. That brings us to the end of our show. As always, we urge you to join us on all of our digital domains so that we can uh, chit chat with you. Uh, Big winners, pretty much still Discord, yeah? Yeah. I haven't seen much action on the Facebook account lately, but uh, Discord is the place to be. Discord is where we talk. Yeah. Uh, well, that brings us to the end, uh, which means that, uh, Robert, really any final thoughts before we, uh, do our, our summer, uh, summer soiree break. I don't know what I'm going, where I'm going with that. That sentence got away from me. Yeah. yeah. They don't all work. They don't all work. Yeah. I, I cut the deep dive cause I wanted this to be a short episode and we've been recording for 50 minutes. So yay. There goes that plan. <laughs> <laughs> At least we don't have a deep dive on top of this, I guess. Movies, man. <laughs> yeah, we did. <laughs> uh, also, next time you hear from me, I'm going to have to plug my head full of Yellow King stuff again. So be prepared. Well, I'm not opposed to that. It's not like we won't chat every day before the next episode. That's true. Uh, no, I'm just just I'm, I'm thinks it's cute how much we text each other. Aw. Well, I'm just warning our, 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 our viewers, our listeners here, because I'll be... Think I'll be Yellow King heavy again next episode. Well, because I got to start cramming for that's that last push on the uh, on the impossible land. If you happen to be in San Diego between uh, June, July thirtieth, and August the fifth, I will be more than happy to sit down and uh, educate you on the most excellent cuisine that is available in San Diego, uh, and maybe we can even play a game. I would invite you to play a game with me, but I'll be hanging out with my family, and they, they're all super young, so I can't do that. Yeah, there's no guarantee I won't have a kid in town. Yeah. yeah. But some of my kids are game players, so that actually could round out the uh, the player count. Well, then there's only one last thing to do, Robert, and that is to be excellent to one another and party on. Party on, Jonathan. I'm going to get some spaghetti and meatballs. I'm hungry. See you. The music you heard in this podcast was intro by Elithiel. Funding for the Forgot My Dice podcast was provided by our supporters on Patreon. Thank you. Thank you.